Drifters. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. And I'm Katie. And tonight we have a special guest, a Caddyshack correspondent of sorts, Tom Rafferty. Say hello to the friends. Hey, Com Majors fans. How are you doing? <laughs> you, um, first off, okay. you blew it. No, um, why? Tom, he said <laughs> he wanted to be a Caddyshack <laughs> enthusiast. Enthusiast. <laughs> Okay, let me do it again. Also, no, 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 Tonight we're, we're joined okay. by, listen, everybody, it's fine. They're going to give mulligan. me a mulligan. She gets a mulligan. Thank you. Oh, I had it, Brian. I had it. Uh, for the okay. mulligan, Caddyshack enthusiast, Tom Rafferty. <laughs> also, yeah. you blew it. What's with the, you actually said your name. That's I know. Well, really dull. I've started thinking about this. And I've realized that as the sole woman on the podcast, I'm doing a disservice to all okay. women by going unnamed. Uh, by your own so choice. By my own choice. I know. <laughs> well, I just, I was like, I need to break this. Uh, so, yeah. So, here I am. I'm Katie. Fair. I think people knew. But, you know, let's put a name on the, on no. the voice. Let's do it. All right. Great. Okay. Love it. Um, well, we're doing Caddyshack today. We're doing Caddyshack today. <laughs> yes. And hopefully we'll get some of the quotes right. Well, that's... Unlike Katie getting... I don't, I don't, thing. I don't yeah. think so. That's why we have if, a lot if of If Jim is saying them, then maybe. I, I Certainly not me. Questionable. That's why we have a lot of clips for today's Very show. good. Yeah. Um, but let's start out with, as always, what are we drinking this episode? Oh, I'm having Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. One of my favorite bourbons. Always, yeah, always a good choice. Katie Maybe. is drinking a One Hope Pinot Noir. It's my favorite summer red. And in a glass that could be wearing oh. headphones, it's so big. I, I have a real wine glass tonight. I trusted myself with a stem, so you got rid of the knock on wood jam jar. Yeah. I yep. I, well, episodes. just for tonight. I just made a decision okay. for tonight. I do love the right. jam jar. Okay, I love it. Mm -hmm. Tom, you having anything? So, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so this is uh, it's a sorghum whiskey I actually found in uh, in Charleston with my. My family went on vacation, so I'm I'm gluten free. I uh, I can't have anything with gluten, so I had to find this special whiskey uh, that's made from gluten free ingredients, and it's fabulous. It's really really good. The name of the distillery is called Highwire, and uh, without going like making this its own podcast, um, they had this special like strain of corn that was going to become extinct, and the guy hired a botanist. He bought, bought some land. They grow this corn and he makes most of his whiskey out of this corn, which is also gluten free. But this is a different variety. It's a little sweeter. Uh, so anyway, so, yeah, that's what I've got awesome. in a mug that uh, I feel like is a very Judge Smalesy mug. It's Yay! one of those dads, our, our captain sort yes! of thing. Yes, so. I love that. <laughs> that's great. Uh, as someone whose wife has celiac disease, I appreciate a gluten free. We Listen, we're whiskey. a gluten free podcast. I love it. Yeah, oh, it's fabulous. It's hard, hard to get to, but if you ever get to South Carolina, it's worth a purchase. All right, perfect. I am drinking Thunder Boom by White Lion Brewing Company. Thunder Ooh, Boom. Ooh, I like Thunder the name Boom. and Whoa. the can. Thunder Boom. Thunder yeah. Boom. It's like a follow-up to Thunder Crack. Thunder Crack. They yeah. should play Thunder Crack. Baby's back. Mm, love that <laughs> song. All right. I love it. Uh, quick fact check. Uh, a couple of different fact checks here. Uh, first of all, uh, a fact check slash plug for our next episode, our rounding down on our final Thursday episodes, only a few left. Uh, this week, thankfully, we'll be doing LA Confidential with the amazing Jimmy Costanzo will be returning. Mm -hmm. He has picked a real movie for us, unlike the piece of trash that our guest last week 
for Thursday pick from Justin to Kelly. We will, I don't know if we will ever recover. Still haunting my dreams. The film, it's haunting my dreams. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a film. It's awful. It's a video um, at best. It's a film. It was released to theaters. That's yeah. a film. I, I, I still am shocked it was released to theaters. Um, also, a legitimate fact check on our Lady Bird mm-hmm. episode. So we were talking about the friendship between Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. Baumbach? 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 Is that a k? Yeah. yeah. Baumbach? And I thought, it tickled my brain that when I watched Marriage Story, I had read something about the two of them. Yes, they are partners who have at least one child together. They've been together for like 10 years. Um, so they are like a Hollywood power couple. Last year they had 13 Oscar nominations between the two of them. So yeah, yeah, up in the ante a little bit. Yep. There you go. I think she's more talented than them. Oh, I agree. <laughs> totally agree. I'm just gonna say that. Yep. Uh, and I am excited to announce I hit my 100th movie of the year with today's movie Caddyshack. It's very exciting. Wow. That's it's a yeah. lot of movies. <laughs> well, it was a good hundredth one. Yeah, my ninety ninth movie also highly recommend Scoob, the new Scooby. Oh, was movie. it good? <laughs> Very. Enjoyable. I have to say, when we saw it was going to cost us twenty dollars to watch it, we had we like went, we were dead set on watching it, and then I veered them away. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do we want to spend twenty dollars on Scooby? You can just pr- borrow my Fandango now log on. Perfect. Because I Thank own you, it. Brian. Sounds great. Uh, I honestly okay. don't think my children have seen any of the other Scooby oh, movies, see, we, so we I felt like do, so. this doesn't feel justified. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's it. That's it for right. rundown. Uh, excuse me. Fact check. Now it's time for rundown. This is Rosanna Dana Dana with the rundown. Is that her name? God damn. <laughs> I, yes. I, I like that though. I appreciate the is connection. It, is it a Dana Dana? Rosanna yeah. Rosanna Dana Dana. Dana, Dana, Dana. Dana right? Yeah, and there she doesn't even understand the connection. She just made it. Why? What do you mean? To, see, she she didn't do that on purpose, Brian. Oh, I thought she did it on purpose. <laughs> She's not in Caddyshack, is she? No, but it's basically a Saturday Night Live cast at, to some oh, yeah. extent. No, I. Uh, <laughs> You no, make assumptions. Make assumptions. <laughs> I this feels like a Saturday Night Live sketch. The whole thing. All right, here we go. Irish Catholic Danny Noonan and Uber Italian Ralph Macchio are caddies in need of some cash. They save their pennies by caddying at the country club for folks like the stodgy club president, Ted from the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and wild card Rodney Dangerfield of Ladybug's fame. Meanwhile... <laughs> gophers threaten to ruin the lives of golfers and groundskeeper bill murray throw in some ptsd some wild teenagers some racism socioeconomic conflict and some sexism and you've got caddyshack good pretty good Pretty good. Yeah, well, that's about good, it. Actually. You got all the names right. I think so. Yes. I mean, I don't know their names in the movie, but <laughs> you didn't, you didn't I drop know who John, they are. You didn't think John McClain was saving the, uh, yeah. or John McCain was saving? <laughs> no, the I got them. Plaza. The only one I looked up was Danny Noonan. I would never remember that. <laughs> okay, but that's <laughs> oh, well, and you, and yeah, the Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. That's a joke. 
That's yes. a joke. I knew his yeah. name wasn't actually Ralph Macchio. <laughs> but I mean, Though he I would really loved, looks like Ralph Macchio. I would have loved to see Ralph Macchio in that role. I he would have been too young. Interchangeable. Too young for it, but yeah. I would have seen <laughs> The red that. and black outfit. I mean, strong Italian. It was. Striking. It was. They were not worried about ethnic stereotypes. <laughs> oh, they went all in. <laughs> they were going all in. Yeah. Every ethnicity was fair game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at the 40th anniversary of Caddyshack, a film mm. released in 1980, the summer of 1980. That's a good year. It's my birth year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Caddyshack and Caddyshack I are year. celebrating a birthday this year. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Um, I guess we celebrate a birthday every year. <laughs> a, a film that is probably easily one of the most quotable films uh, in terms of people mm-hmm. using lines or references uh, from it and also mm-hmm. a film that I think is no longer um, would have been able to be made. No, certainly you not. will not see a film like Caddyshack being made probably uh, anytime soon. No. So it is a classic um, that leaves itself up for a lot of interpretation mm-hmm. in 2020. And yes. let's uh, delve into that. And let's also hit on the fact that our podcast, if you follow us on social media, you get to end up being on the show potentially. Yeah. Because that's what happened with Tom. Yep. He's here <laughs> for that reason. Listen, you, if you ask, uh, we would we would love, we love talking to people. Well, let's we love be serious. Talking to people. I, not everybody. Not it's everyone. Really no, right. it's no, actually true. Really <laughs> Most some of you are really like, can we be on the show? And we're like, just never there was done. some vetting that happened behind the scenes. <laughs> There was no vetting. <laughs> there was. <laughs> Brian Costello was like, who does Tom Rafferty know? I was like, Jimmy Costanza. He's like, he's in. <laughs> no. She said, Glenn Hackett, Mark Bowen, Jimmy Costanza. I'm like, he's in. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, let's be serious. I, um, and I, I think I actually wanted to bring this to today's episode. Um, English teachers slash literature majors are potentially some of the best movie critics that there are. Because when you break movies down, if it doesn't end up with strong story, it's not going to last. It's not going to be good for long. So that's that's what I have to say about that. Okay. Well, English teachers. Let's talk about I don't the movie. Think there's a, I don't think there's a strong <laughs> that story is, here. That is, and this movie is this 40 is years a series of vignettes. <laughs> We've also covered three Kubrick movies. Yeah. Yeah, well... That are mm-hmm. considered... Borderline having no story. True. <laughs> well, and we've talked films. about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. First of all, the in, in, a couple intriguing things. Both Tom and I have read this fantastic book, which I've talked about before, um, Caddyshack, The Making of a Hollywood Cinderella Story, uh, which I think fills in a lot of gaps of perhaps what we're going to be talking about in terms of this movie. Uh, now, this is a movie I'd seen tons of times, obviously, through the years, but the book itself, and maybe Tom can hit on this as well, does make a lot of the things in the movie make more sense when you have an understanding of it. And it also, I think, changes the way you see the film at points uh, in terms of why things happen the way they did. And this movie is an example of what you should never do when you're making a movie. <laughs> the fact that this is actually something people are still talking about 40 years later based upon the making of this movie is utterly shocking to me Yeah, because it is a film with basically no plot and basically no storyline. The film we see, which was very different than the film they were actually making 
that we can talk about. Today. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's basically like a loosely connected group of skits, right? Like, I mean, so for the first like that, half. It's so I can see that it is not one central plot. Yes. But it's all the same characters and it's yeah. all the same setting. And so when you say it's, it's a loosely a connected set of skits, that makes it sound like like it is a day in this place with yeah. these people. Well, it's more than a day, but it's a day in the life kind of situation, right? So, right. Yeah, it's interesting is that they thought it was some some and you guys could probably, you know, talk about this. But one of the writers or someone probably worked as a caddy or were, was involved in this life at some point. Um, and had a bunch of funny stories that they wanted to kind of link together. And that's, I mean, this is basically like one step up from like a student film as far as like <laughs> how it probably came together. So I'll let you guys tell us. Yeah. Tell, tell us. us the truth. Yeah. Behind the fiction. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll jump in if I may. So yeah. the Brian Doyle Murray, who's Bill Murray's brother, um, you know, was a caddy. And I, I believe they mentioned Bill Murray was too at this, uh, country club in suburban Chicago. And the, that was the inspiration for this, for the, for the story. And now, you know, they obviously took liberties with, uh, you know, the stories and the experiences that Brian Doyle Murray had, but that was in fact the inspiration. Um, and you know what, it's really funny because a lot of what you're saying is similar to the experience that I've had. So as I, or, you know, as we mentioned, I'm an enthusiast. I love this movie. Um, and you know, some years ago, uh, I was kind of going down the rabbit hole, just like looking online and thinking, you know, I want to see what the backstory to these characters are just because now that we live in this glorious age of the internet, I want to know the backstory about Captain America. I could spend four hours just reading about that. I want to know the backstory about Gandalf. You know, there's a lot of literature. I can remember literally Googling. literature. <laughs> indeed. There's actual yes, indeed. So I remember Googling and looking up like, you know, how did Ty Webb make his money? And the internet basically spat back one response, which is don't worry about it. Like it was like completely. And, yeah. and I remember also like, how old is Ty Webb? <laughs> Another great question. It, it's amazing because I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, like there has to be no answer to this. There's really no answer because think of all the people that are spending all the time writing all this information on the internet. No one wrote this. And the thing is the book points out, that this movie is exactly what you describe. It's this meandering assembly of skits that they put together. And, and something that the book talks about, and we'll be addressing the book throughout this, uh, is that when Harold Ramis and the original crew were done with this, they had five hours. It was a five-hour movie. Sanity! That's like in pure... And they had oh to bring in God. someone from the outside to make it two hours. Because And think about that. They cut three hours out That's of this insane. movie. And this is what it is. Well, it's because... And, and Tom can tell, we could talk about this. The movie, like they wrote, wasn't anywhere near. Like most of the stuff that we'll talk about that people are interested in wasn't even there. The no. whole movie was about the caddies. It was like a coming of age yeah. movie so about the caddies. And literally Bill Murray was hired for six days. He was supposed to be a cameo. The yeah. only, re I mean, Chevy Chase was in there because the studio said you have to have a star. So he was going to be Ty Webb, but he wasn't, I mean, he was in it probably about as much as he would be. And then all the other things were just supposed to be glory, like glorified cameos. And they started filming it and they're like, no, you got to have more Rodney Dangerfield. You got to have more of Bill Murray. You have to have the and the Lacey Chevy Chase were supposed to fall in love and get married. 
Mm. It was supposed to be a really <laughs> conventional coming of age comedy. And almost none of that is in there. And that's what I mean. A lot of the cuts were were that the storyline, all those caddies you see that you barely see had like fully fleshed out characters and so storylines. was it so was it scripted ad libbed did they just they changed <laughs> it mid shoot like what how did that all so it's actually funny you should say that because as as i was prepping to make sure i had information at my fingertips and i was so nervous to misquote or to get a quote wrong because these this movie is so predicated the enjoyment is so predicated on getting the quotes just right so i'm thinking okay i'll have them up in front of me so i googled caddyshack full script there isn't one the Um, only things that exist are the original script that harold ramis wrote and it is nothing like the movie like i was reading it and thinking this isn't in the movie what is happening as i'm looking at this and and that's that's the only the only script that you can find nobody i guess took the time to type down you know i guess sort of reverse engineering from the movie back into a script the only thing that exists is the original script and it is completely different than what you see so they had to ad lib it i'm sure bill murray the book indicates that bill murray ad libbed a ton of it and i'm sure that many of the other characters did as well at least the people like rodney dangerfield the people that had some sort of cachet um but i mean if there if there was a script i mean it's what i've seen and it is not the movie you see yeah i mean for example like if you if you were to go through i think we have some of the clips um but tom you were talking about before like the interaction between chevy chase and michael mckean or keith who become who's danny noonan like that was that was supposed to be a relationship that you see in the movie that they play and but chevy chase just kind of goes being chevy chase and the, the whole you know one of the famous quotes is like danny do you dro- do drugs every day yeah and you're supposed to say something yeah we'll play it so here's just the bite of that yeah you take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. <laughs> That's literally and it. That, I thought it was, was going to be longer. <laughs> no, <laughs> four second clip you sent me. No, but that—that's the clip. That's yeah. the line. But that was emblematic of what was happening. Like Chevy Chase read that line or ad libbed that, and he just said it right back to Chevy Chase. He's like, "Do you do drugs, Danny?" And he's like, "Every day." Yeah. None yeah. of that is is prepped, and yeah, you know the the Chase character was written for Chevy Chase. Um, completely, you know, that was tailored to him. Um, these guys got this movie because they made animal house. So yeah, Ramis and Doug Kinney, uh, who I, I didn't know much about without reading the book, but they were the guys who started the, or Kenny, Kenny did the national lampoons magazine. They made animal house and made a lot of money, but they didn't get any power. So then he and Harold Ramis say, I want to direct, I want to produce. They've never done it. Mm-hmm. And they like come up with a Caddyshack, you know, in the form, but they said, you got to get somebody. And Kenny was best friends with Chevy Chase, who was like the biggest guy in America at that point <laughs> after Saturday Night Live's first year. And they, and he said, you know, he and Chevy Chase like to do mounds of cocaine together. And he's like, yeah, I'll come down to Florida and <laughs> do this movie with you. Um, and by the way, if you read the book, you talk about drug use. Oh God. He's like, this is less like an open, uh, drug use was insanity they talk about on this film i don't think there was a sober person involved in 
the filming of this movie. Well, the, actually, the only person who's the exception to that, and it's appropriately enough, is Ted Knight, the guy who played Judge Smales, was completely appalled at the rampant drug use and like the bacchanalia of it all. And it's so perfect because that character who comes off as I think the book describes him as like an old fuddy duddy. It's like it's yeah. that's it. Because yep. that's exactly how he felt regarding the other people. Yeah. And that's probably how they felt about him. Yeah. And as, as, every time I watch this movie, I'm reminded that he is by far the best part of this movie. Oh, he's fantastic. not even close. Hands down. Yeah. Um, I am hoping you all enjoyed him on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Am I the only one that no, knows? Him? Sorry. He I... is a legend. Legend I... in Nick at Night history. Yeah. I preferred him <laughs> with one Mr. Jim J. Bullock. Yeah. And uh, on Too Close for oh, Comfort. Yeah, yeah that came the, later. That's the one I'm yeah. yeah. okay. talking yep. Show. Um so with the idea, and this is interesting because again, Tom and I re reading the book know this, but as you start to rewatch the movie, knowing that it was originally about the caddies, that's why you get the Danny Noonan stuff at the beginning, which I think who I can't remember who edited this, but Tom was right. You brought it up. They brought in a legit old school, like Hollywood editor, thank God, um, to do it. And they were kind of like, okay, well, we can use some of the caddy stuff. And it could be like a well, window, it does in, like feel... an entrance into the country. I mean, if you, had the... we get the if you had to distill this movie down and talk about the plot without like any of the comedy, the story is Danny's coming of age and deciding yes. sort of what he wants to do with his life, or at least what he doesn't want to do with his life. Um, and so like that part is still there and, and, and it, it works because they, they give you enough to to kind of show you that he's conflicted and and trying to make make a decision and then whether he should go for this scholarship and and kiss male's ass or not and and do this and that and then kind of it all leads to the moment where he he decides not to um yeah i think i think all of that is is it's still very caddy centric i mean all the most of the little skits are are designed around the caddy life you know like the fights the fight at the at the caddy shack and and the pool day and all that stuff i still feel like you could have uh, i think you could have trimmed that first scene like when you look at the movie as a whole oh what do you mean what, which first scene when, his in the house, house. the house what, is a weird I mean, scene it's, it's <laughs> like so what are we supposed to take from that i think that brian was talking with a thousand brothers and sisters and cousins and Really, yeah, it was basically money. my grand, my grandparents right. down the shore. <laughs> That's I. It did remind me of like this is the shore well, house where everybody comes to crash. The, that was the 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 Murray brother thing, right? This is all supposed to be around the Murray brother. Danny Noonan was Bill, and was he Bill's older brother? Tom, I can't remember that they were basing Danny Noonan on. He won a caddy scholarship and everything, and yeah. So I don't know, don't know the 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 order whether Brian or or. Uh, or Bill is the older one. But yeah, in fact, it is definitely based off this. And it's it's funny because you're talking about, you know, no, no one is safe. No ethnicity is safe in this movie. And there it is. Like, here's the your Irish, Irish Catholic Catholics. family. Yeah. And I, I was listening to another podcast on Caddyshack, which I was telling Katie about. There is literally a Caddyshack. It's called the Caddyshack Minute. And they do a minute by minute analysis of Caddyshack. And their minute by minute analysis is they will talk for 32 minutes about one minute of Caddyshack. And they do it for all 100. It's 120 episodes oh, long. And they talk about my minute by God. Minute. 
And I happened to listen on my run. I'm like, all right, I'm going to dip my toe in this. I didn't listen anymore. But I, the one I listened to is the senior describing. The one guy said he paused it and they all talked about how many Noonan kids there were. And they came to a consensus that other than Danny, there are 12 Noonan kids at <laughs> least that you're aware of. But so it is there is that throwaway line that there's like like the dad doesn't know some of them. Yeah, right? yeah, Where it's yeah, like, yeah, it's your, cousin, you're like, yeah, these are, is that your nephew? It's your nephew. Yeah. Um, so, so that gives us a little bit of like, okay, they're not all of his siblings, but, but again, beyond the like Irish Catholic jab of the, the many children in the house, what does that serve? It just, it's emphasizing that he really needs I guess I, I but you a know scholarship. What, yeah, but you know what, <laughs> I, it just feels like you don't really need that. Scene. Yeah, but you know what? The other thing here's the other thing. And this is just geeky movie knowledge here. Back then, you still needed to have all the credits play. Oh, before. So the you film needed started. something. They didn't, kind do, of, cold, they yeah, did, they didn't do cold opens. Right. Um, like we do now. There used to be. And actually, oddly enough, there's still I think that's still a rule. Like if you put a certain number of credits on the screen to start, mm -hmm. then you have to run every featured player on it. OK. So if you notice, some movies won't will only do like two actors and a director. And that's within the realm. And then you don't have to run the full. Uh, you know, like DP, cinematography, all that type of stuff. Yeah. If you show a few more than that set number, then you have to show everybody. So you'd have to show the editor. You have to show the screenwriters. You have to show all the producers. That's what they used to do back then. Yeah. So it's like that scene kind of allows for that. That's why also you go back to the 1980s and stuff. You'll see a lot of movies that did title cards and opens in like the 70s and 60s and 80s, they would do it. But to me, it's more like I get some background, but you just get the Kenny Loggins song, which <laughs> yes, is like, though, okay, but yeah, the what's intro the into that song, I wish we had sprinkler. that. It's the sprinkler That's head. so weird. Because they knew it was going to be the open and, uh, to the song. So he did the sprinkler, like the time it to the open where they show the sprinkler on the chorus. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, we, we started the movie. I was like, what the F is this song? Like this, are we watching the right film? Like, did you pick, like, is this like Caddyshack B? Because the beginning of that song, like, totally takes you to a different, certainly does not sound like Kenny Loggins. <laughs> oh, I love that song. The Kenny Loggins will, like, has always said, too, it's like, he goes, I have to thank this gopher for, a, like, like five houses oh, or something I mean, they like had that. the uh, the the fish that sang, like, Take Me to the River that you mounted on your wall, right? That yeah, was, like, yeah. big yeah. in, the, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And then they had the gopher that sat on yeah, your who desk. Had that? Did you? Was that yours? Jim? I feel like I, I was a few people that had no, the gopher that sang. Uh, was it foamers? Maybe. I don't we know. definitely knew a few gophers. Yeah. I feel like that gopher was around. Yeah. That gopher got around. He's Who's dirty. listening? Who's listening that had one of those darn gophers? <laughs> I'm sure they sold yeah, them at Kohl's at some song. point. It was like a Kohl's special. Um, had to have okay. Them. So it was supposed to be about the caddies. It kind of is. We got Chevy Chase going. And then they start adding people in. And, uh, you know, one of the people who was not, uh, first of all, I, I will say this. I thought this film was brilliantly cast, you know, for all the kind of, if you read the book about the behind the scenes stuff, Harold Ramis had no idea how to direct. The other guy didn't know how to produce anything. The one thing they probably got right was the casting. But one person who was not the original goal was Rodney Dangerfield. I think they were actually been talking. Oh, God. Um, it was Dom was Rickles. It? Yeah, Dom mm. Rickles. That makes sense. He would have he been, that, he been great, too. Yeah. I, Dom Rickles I think is he's great. More, I, yeah, but I think he's more angry yeah. in his comedy. I think, like, when Roddy Dangerfield brought that, like, 
brings it right away. Like the sequence when you get introduced to him. Do we have that clip? He, when he goes into the uh, gift shop. Yeah. It, it brings something completely different to the movie upon his arrival. His car horn. Yeah, I can't park my car, get my bags, and put on some weight, will you? Hey, Wang, what's with the pictures? It's a parking lot. Come on. Will you? Literally every <laughs> stereotype is in this movie. You're missing the this this is okay. the best a great line. line. Yeah, this is the best. This is the best, like racial, one of the best <laughs> racial jokes slash stereotypes in the movie. I think this place is restricted, Wang. So don't tell me you're Jewish, okay? <laughs> hey, kid, I'm Al Chervik. I'm playing with Drew Scott today. This is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense. <laughs> like, yeah. All right, we have to send some Coles cash to listener Tommy Doherty, uh, who says that he brought a singing gopher in for his preschool show and tell. So that means that this thing lived in his house. Ironically, uh, we watched this movie and Jim said, you know, there's a, there, yeah, Bill there's Murray. a strong resemblance to some members of Jim's family. Yeah, Bill Murray <laughs> is at his most Doherty in, in this, this film. film. <laughs> yeah. We were sl- arguing like, over which uncle. By, by, ghost, by Ghostbusters, he's a little too refined. Yeah, agreed. I would agree with that. Yeah, like a good but Irish Catholic he, family. He there's been, five of them to decide between. He could have so. been one of my mom's brothers. Um, yeah, and I love all my mom, all my uncles, and I would have loved to have. And they could be a Carl. movie. They could be a movie. Carl we, is an uncle. We could make them into <laughs> yeah. little singing covers. <laughs> yeah, but like the, their sense of humor, I feel like, which is funny because when I think about my mom's family and my, you know their age they were greatly influenced by saturday night live, early saturday night live um so like their sense of humor sort of is wrapped so close to like these types of characters and and this era of film and and tv so it does make sense to a certain extent and as um one of 10 children they did some batshit crazy stuff yeah, they did. Growing up in the 60s, they were 70s, very mean and 80s to my, to my grandmother. <laughs> that's what you did. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it did. Yeah, and Dangerfield is a Joe Doc twin. Yeah. That's funny. But yeah. I, what I like is, I, so originally, I think the idea was the, the social battle between rich and poor, other side of the tracks, the caddies going to the club. And they were able to continue that theme, I think, even though Rodney Dangerfield was rich, like the definition of what wealth is and how people oh yeah that was was new money new money versus old money absolutely and what was like kind of hovering around there and so it is like the the characters are written on the fly and like performed on the fly but the characterizations are still pretty good like everybody is kind of in their lane in an interesting oh you get there well and it's interesting to me like work working the like so my like you know typical summer job, I guess, stereotypical was working in a shore town as a teenager with all of the Irish kids that got shipped in to work as like cheap labor um, and watching that same dynamic in like a pretty affluent shore town of like, (laughs) it was so many of those same characters of like the folks with the new money and like how they'd be looked down upon. And then like the, the kids that would just come in for summer labor that were like looking to make a buck, but like all of those stereotypes, they, to me still exist. Yeah. So the Irish girl, was she, what's going on with her accent? Okay. 
Yeah, I knew, I knew it had. This is, I knew it had to be in the book. Certainly not this Irish. This is something I never knew until I read it, and it's really interesting. <laughs> so, so the person that you're referring to is the very subtly named Maggie O'Hooligan. Yeah, is her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, and she is actually Brian Doyle Murray's girlfriend. Oh, and interesting. Yeah, so that that was kind of her in for this movie, and actually. She was originally thought to be, or not thought to be, but she was considered to be the, um, you know, the Lacey Underall character, the one that was supposed to be the, the bombshell sort of in, you know, for the movie. And they decided that she would kind of fit this other role better. Um, so, you know, one way or another, they got her into the movie. They basically have two female characters, I guess three, if you would judge Smale's wife oh. and like, and so, right. She's clearly not for that. So. They they found a spot for her in this movie, um, but yeah, that's that is her connection. She was that's dating. Funny. Did they cut her hair for the film? I, I would like know. to know. They didn't say that. They did sure. really stress that she a had a horrible haircut. Well, the accent is worse. It's like Tom uh, Cruise yes. and far and away yeah. Irish accent. There, I don't know <laughs> why they were. Well, so- thanks for nothing. What's worse, the <laughs> accent or the haircut, or the or the costuming, the outfits they make that poor girl oh, no, wear? Drew put it in the was, chat literally well, just for, as I was th- tanks saying. Tanks for nothing. Well, thanks, um, yeah, but nothing. The full red outfit, <laughs> the all red outfit that they make her wear as an Irish yeah, woman. Th- but this was red weird. is not there a good very, color. Irish. There were some very odd things I found in like reading the book and then watching the movie that they were so in, intent on being authentic in certain areas. Yeah. Yet like the craft of filmmaking and writing it, they ignored so many things, but they were like, no, no, no. We, even though this Irish accent is horrible, she has to be an Irish girl because that's what like the Murray's worked with in Chicago. Yeah. Like that was like, there was just some weird choices in terms of how they did that. Cause I feel like those things may be part of what people love about the film because it's one of those, like it's so bad, it gets good sort of things. But uh, the other side of that is like when, you know, the filmmaker holds so strongly on to like, but I need to bring back to life my actual experience. Uh, couldn't you argue like something gets lost there? <laughs> you know, yeah, like when you're a sacrificing weird, yeah, like a good performance, like a good performance. Oh, well, however, I will say that like the, the as bad as the performance is in certain spots for her, it's the only time there's anything like kind of heavy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't I don't say and, and take I her character it, I, out. I no, say no, like there's no reason for her to have a fake Irish accent. Right. right. Uh, I completely agree. And I wonder if that filmed I can't imagine how many scenes with her were cut. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, that were just Yeah, how many takes did that, that take for them to cut. get like not good enough? Yeah. And in fact, there was supposed to be the talking about Katie mentions earlier, you know, there's not a, you know, there seemed like there used to be more caddies. Yeah, there was. There was actually a love triangle between Ralph Macchio, a.k.a. Tony D'Annunzio oh, yeah. uh, and and Danny and Maggie. That was like that was a main that was inferred to at some point where he's it? jumping outside their window. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> he like he asks you know, her yeah. about it after I feel. Yeah, there, there was definitely like an implication there. Yeah. And then obviously she says later that, she, you know, she's sleeping with other people. Yeah. But yeah. I did yeah. like that. But, little so there's only so much you can, <laughs> you know, save in the editing room when you're supposed to have a movie that's about caddies and then yeah it's five the hours producers long. keep saying i oh, know you need more bill murray no you need more you know chevy chase yeah. no you need more you know all of these things being put in there um 
Can we ask Tom yes. um, a favorite scene? What do you think, Tom? Sure. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's hard to say just because there's so many mo moments that, that jump out. I would say for me, we talked about it already a little bit, the one where it's, you know, Ty and Danny are, uh, you know, are introduced basically in the beginning. And I will give a lot of credit to these guys because a lot of what we're doing is kind of trashing them as filmmakers and, you know, as novice filmmakers, they don't know what they're doing. But the one thing that they do great is introduce Ty Webb. So if you think about a, a really good a really good introduction to a character. They just let the audience figure it out based on the clues, right? They don't, you know, they don't need to come right out and say, Oh, this guy makes a ton of money and he doesn't work very hard for it. And he plays a lot of golf and he's great. Right. You kind of understand that this guy is who he is through this sarcastic, you know, exchange that he has with Danny. So, you know, if I could give a comparison, so in trading places, when you first meet Eddie Murphy's character, um, you know, Billy Ray Valentine, there's no verbal clues about what kind of individual he is. You just see him, you know, rolling himself out, trying to pull a scam, pretending to be a vet. And you're right away. You're like, got it. I, I know yeah. exactly who this person is. And I think that that scene is just such a perfect introduction to Ty. And the thing that I think really makes it so, so enjoyable is because that brand of comedy, um, is something that I think only Chevy Chase can pull off, which is the, he says the opposite of what you would expect, even though I've come to expect Chevy Chase to do that throughout this movie. And I still laugh every time. So the, like a very quick example is the, the putt and the walk you away. And he said, oh, thank you very little. And just walks away and says that. So like for that half second, you're like, oh, okay, thank you very, oh, thank you very little. Where did that come from? Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what Chevy Chase does throughout the movie. There's other moments where you think, he is going to say what you would expect up and, and he flips it. Or how about later on, um, you know, when he's, he calls Lacey over to his apartment, it's tying her there. And she says that, that, that line, Oh, your name's Ty. Like, why don't I tie you up with some of your ties, Ty? And it's supposed to be this like seduce a moment where she's seducing him. And he again, flips the script. He says, well, Hey, maybe we can act like humans. Like he just says, like he completely throws it. Like you're, you're acting weird. This is uncomfortable. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I also love one of my favorite lines is she's like, oh, here's an uncashed check for uh, $70,000. It's like, keep it. Keep that was real. That was like based on one of the writers. He it was Doug Kenny. Doug Kenny used to have checks of $100,000 checks just lying around his apartment because he was one of those people. And people were like, Doug, here's a check for $140,000 from Universal Pictures. He's like, eh. is that where it is? <laughs> oh, my it's God. Like, I can't imagine. <laughs> But you know what? I think as Tom was talking, something came to mind. I think that introduction is an example, though, of the fact that Harold Ramis and he even talks about this, like the fact he didn't know how to do a movie and he was just going to do it. And he was just going to trust the instincts of working on National Lampoons and all this stuff where we can improvise and we can do this is why this movie works. I don't think somebody working within the confines of regular filmmaking would have been able to pull this movie off because right. they wouldn't have allowed for the things that happened. There is a ton of stuff that obviously doesn't make it. They didn't know what they were doing and they were having problems with focus and all this other stuff. But all the stuff that becomes the good part of this movie only happens because they're novice filmmakers. Well, and that's interesting because I think the discombobulated nature of it and the wild variations in tone at times make it hard I think there's still moments in this film where watching it 40 years later, you cringe or you say like, oh, that doesn't age well. Yeah, yeah. Like we, you know, 
not okay. But the, because the characters are not lovable, I mean they're lovable, but like yeah, they're, so they're many all, of them they're, are bad people <laughs> because they're doing yeah, right. The movie the movie isn't making a commentary on like race or gender yeah, this or is anything a like that. Horrible culture of humans. Right. These are bad people doing doing <laughs> right. awful things, and that's sort of like I don't want to say it like forgives it, but it does make it easier. It does make it more authentic. Right. To like watch. you look at it's Rodney Dangerfield, like, you're like, yeah, he would say that, and yeah. the Ted Knight character, yeah, he would say that, right? Like because they're assholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, well, and yeah. All, yeah. And I also think I can't remember who was saying this about it though. They said in the opening once they the gopher was actually in the movie very little and they actually went back and reshot a that bunch was, of stuff that was an showing, excellent decision showing the but they More also gopher. said like the minute you show him popping up to that kenny loggins music at the beginning and he's dancing and stuff you've kind of established the tone that yep. you can go anywhere now that's true and then they kind of go yeah. into smales being crazy and then they go into chevy chase and noon and, and it's like okay this is what this movie's about yeah. and they're very upfront about it. And going back to that awful from Justin, the Kelly that comes to my mind, like Caddyshack, what they did is they established, this is going to be ridiculous. We're going to do this. And they didn't try to be overtly serious. There's some themes that run throughout it, but it's allowed to just kind of hover there because you're enjoying all the other stuff. And again, you can enjoy all these characters because they're in this kind of surreal world where this right. gopher is a character yeah. in a sense. And consider this as well, too, that, you know, we're talking about like, how does the gopher work? Does it not work? Is the gopher good? And, and the reason why we're saying it is because, you know, it, it looks campy. It obviously is very it's very obviously a puppet. But the funny thing is we're having this debate that is much more realistic than the puppet. If you Google it and look up what the original gopher puppet oh looked God, like, it, it, was it, awful. it was like a sock puppet. It was it was so bad. It makes what they actually use look like avatar level CGI. It's unbelievable how bad it looks. And it's I, funny because we're talking about how campy what they used looked instead of what it could have been. No, I think I was watching it last night thinking like the gopher holds up. I mean, like I the, the gopher, gopher still He's looks adorable. cute. Like there's definitely like it. You yeah. can still believe it as like an animal, right? Like it's still good enough that it works. It's got personality. Yeah. And, and like I don't know. I and love in the, the end, it's the go the gopher is really the only antagonist. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like the only likable character. Well, that's true. He is that sort of likeable. comes out. To, I guess you can like Danny, but he's still a shitty person. No, he's shitty. For most yeah, I don't like but Danny. He's also an 18 year old kid. I, yeah, yeah now, but yeah. but you know some of the other things about their ability as they were filming it. Uh, you know, again as being kind of rookie filmmakers, was their ability to understand quickly where things weren't working. One of the most famous monologues is the Dalai Lama. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Gunga. Do we have a bike? Do we have a? I don't think we have that version. Do we not have a short? I thought I sent a short version. No, we have Cinderella Man. No, okay, but that was not originally intended for Bill Murray, and they they filmed it with somebody. Um, I can't remember. They said it was awful. They filmed it with somebody who was older, and and they filmed it, and they and Harold Ramis knew he's like this is horrible. When Bill shows up, we'll just have him we do, do have this. it we do have hold it. on Sorry. yeah because so this here, is a great i don't know where this is hold on so we finish 18 and he's gonna stiff me 
And I said, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know? Yeah. For the effort, you know? And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. <laughs> so I got that going. <laughs> so here's the thing about this scene. Go. Is if, if you are a young person of a certain age who has a summer job. Yes. You are bound to run across people like this who have been in that same employment for oh, for forever. Preach forever. This is my Bernie's pretzels moment. Like yes. having worked, at, there were characters coming in and out of there. He's literally holding this kid hostage with a pitchfork, yep. yeah. telling him a story about his life for whatever reason. And yeah, this rings so true as far as like. If you ever had kind of a blue collar minimum wage summer job that yeah. there were people that did it full time camp counselors, the, camp counselors, uh, yeah. you'd be a camp counselor and be like, this guy's 50 and yeah. he has been a camp counselor for 40 years. Yeah. I, so I, I when you think about the teen perspective coming into this film, for me, it changes everything Yes, because it really does give you that like, ah, oh, gosh. You don't want to turn into any of these people. Right. 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 Like, oh, what are my so. options yeah, here? <laughs> if I stay working this job where the money's good for a teenager, I might turn into this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I get really rich, which is what most teenagers want to do. Well, I'm, am I going to turn into that guy? Smells. Because yeah. they're all jerks. Yeah. <laughs> so my options are lousy. And the golf course is like the perfect place to set that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and that's another thing we didn't really talk about is that for me, I love the fact that this movie sort of subverts the, like the country club itself and kind of makes it, knocks it down a few pegs. Um, because when you to say subvert, explain that. Um, that it's using, it's using the, the traditional country club as like a canvas to to for humor and to to basically say these people are like you know a king in a, in in a kingdom that does that means absolutely right so shit. it's creating a yeah. satire around right. the country and so like yeah culture and, and i for me as someone who actually i really enjoy the game of golf this culture is what has held I mean, granted, the sport makes a ton of money, so I don't want to say has held it back in a way that like has has like made it not popular. It's preventing it from being accessible, though. Oh, it's one hundred accessible sport. It's a it, it is yeah, and it's the final frontier of racism in sports. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, sexism. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and socioeconomics. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and all of the isms. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is we've gone back and watched all of the like we've watched a lot of those films that were later, and we've talked about the lack of diversity in the cast and the way it was written and all those things, and that exists in this movie. But I think it fits. Oh yeah, almost the message of what they're trying to say here. There's not many minorities in there because they wouldn't be in the club and right. and the role of women in this film is like marginalized and but i think that's also how they are viewed for whatever way you want to the the portrayal of women in this movie i think if you see it through the lens of how they were making this movie 
it is very accurate to the characters that are in this movie, as opposed to some of the other movies we've watched from further back where it was not realistic portrayals of minorities or women just stuck into a film oh, yeah. feeling like, oh, no, this is how this is how those people yeah. were being treated. The only problem with that <laughs> is when you come to it from that approach, then there's an expectation of a little more delivery on messaging. Whereas I think that the target audience for this is white males. And I don't think white males are watching this film being like, you know what? We really should treat people better. No, but I, I, think I don't you know do, if that's really happening. You so. do see a little bit more of like the, I mean, let's be honest. There's two black guys in this movie. One is the guy who gets his, his little boat run, run over, which is, yes. you know, <laughs> basically like a racist shot saying like this guy, all he has is this little yep. beat up boat. Um, yeah. and, then, and then they just ran it over. And then the other one is the what I the attendant, the attendant yeah, yeah, the clubhouse locker attendant, room attendant, yeah, um, who hears them making racist jokes and ruins the pair of shoes. But you do see him at least interacting with the other service staff later at like a friendly level. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'm not saying that's like a comment on you know the haves and the have nots, and the have nots being more likely to to be. Uh, not racist. But well, I think I'm just bringing, if we're being frank, I can't look at a movie that's 40 years old right. and expect, like, that's just, this is, this is typical of a 40 year old movie, right? Where like, the, yes, what Brian's saying is true. That is what you would have seen mm -hmm. inside a country club, but the satire is only going to go so far. Right. And it's they not do going to actually really tackle. Right. Right. And that issues. it's not supposed to, um, you know, they do, they do the joke that he overhears is Judge Smales, a judge saying it to a priest, a bishop, a bishop a who's not a, a Catholic bishop. Yeah. No. Which I don't know why. I mean, and I guess that's the Murray brothers doing yeah, whatever they do them, because that's guess, bullshit. Yeah. That would have 100% been a Catholic priest, um, a bishop, a Catholic bishop doing, you know. I think it just worked as a joke in the movie. Yeah. So well, no, because later on, he needs him. to. Yeah. He, because later on he makes the joke about Danny and, and basically yes. saying that Catholics are also discriminated against. And you know, that's yeah. whatever it is, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it needs to make a, a, a commentary other than saying like the worst people in this movie are the, are the ones making those kinds of jokes. Yeah. I, again, I, like I recognize it's a 40 year old movie. Like you, you it's going to have yeah. a lot of problems because it's 40 years old. No, but <laughs> because it was made in 1980. I'm still, that's not, that's not the point though. The point isn't that like the, the things they were doing were not problematic because the movie's 40 years old. Like if you set a movie today in that time period, I think that's what Brian's saying is like, if you made a movie today, which you couldn't, you know, obviously this would, to me, the fact that they're they're trying to characterize these these snobby country club people, I I think that's part of their the character that they were going for. So how that that's not because it's forty years old. That's because they were trying to make a comment about how awful they were. Right, but that, so again, there's that difference between the way that the 
the way that the character operates and then the way that the storyteller operates. Right, right. And so, again, you have the, you know, the the treatment of Ted Knight's granddaughter, niece, whoever she yeah. is, right? And so th there's those two different lines where it's like, here's what the character does, but then here's what the storyteller does. And that's what tells the audience how to feel and what to mm -hmm. think. That's where you run into troubling yeah, yeah. territory with a 40 year old film right 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 like they don't do kind things to women in this movie it's no this movie does not make you think twice about the way we're treating women no and neither <laughs> did right I mean, but it's a 40 year old I, I movie i can't remember animal house that much maybe you guys can speak to that more but that was what else they wrote and i don't remember women being in the bed i mean this was right. targeted for men yeah and I think, you know, a part, maybe we could some of I was interested in your take on the movie, Katie, mainly be, because in the sense that this is not a movie, again, like we said, that probably in any way where you at any age would be the target audience. No, I, no they were not making this movie thinking about women. Well, I mean, and that's just the reality of it, right? Like this movie was written by men for men. That's just the truth. I don't I don't know if you're going to find many women who are Caddyshack fanatics. <laughs> I, like, I can appreciate that it's a funny movie, but I also feel as I'm watching it like this is not for me. Right. Like, like yeah. this wasn't made for me. That's just how it feels. Tom, what do you think is the most beloved scene by most people? Oh, that's what a great you, when question. When people talk to you about, like, it, it, you know, you've talked about yours. What do you think stands out the most for people when you hear them talk about Caddyshack? So, I mean, again, it's it's tricky to even say just because it is, in fact, you know, so quotable as well. So, I would say that if you're talking about the most beloved scene, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people do really love the Gopher as well. You know, the 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 idea of the Gopher getting up and dancing at the end after, you know, the golf ball like goes into the cup and, you know, all of the golf clubs magically shoot out of the bag, you know, <laughs> as well. And, you know, everybody, you know, jumps up and down and, you know, moments after, um, you know, Rodney Dangerfield sixes very obviously Italian goons on, <laughs> yeah, yeah. on, on judge Smales to, to quote, help him find his checkbook. So I think that the, the exact moment specifically is again, the, the golf course is in complete, it's destroyed. You know, there's, there's explosions going everywhere, which by the way, were actual explosions that they did not tell the golf course they filmed it at were going to happen. They just basically were like, we're going to ask forgiveness later and pay for it. Um, and so anyway, with the moment when the gopher pops up and starts dancing and you kind of, as the audience has the relief while, uh, while Kenny Loggins, I'm all right. playing. I think that's the most beloved moment. It's almost just like saying like, Oh, this, this movie, this was, this was fun. And that's kind of, that's kind of it. It's like a very cute note to end on. I uh, also was amazed. And I had heard this before that the Bill Murray, Chevy chase scene was all just made up on the spot Yeah, because they hated Completely. each other. What was the, Do you remember that story? In the book? Yes. They, those two could not even stand being in the same room together. So that scene specifically uh, was put was not, not only was it not in the script, there wasn't a note about it. It wasn't an idea. Basically, Harold Ramis said, look, we have these two guys. These two guys are super popular. They're both super charismatic. Let's get them both on the screen and film them. What the heck? I mean, you know, they they were making it a five hour movie. Let's make it a five hour and five minute movie. You know, what the heck's the difference? So they put them on there and and you can totally see you can see it in a couple scenes with Chevy Chase. And I'll talk about some of them later on where, where there's ad living and you can just tell just 
the dislike that they have for each other. And the, the, the moment, the line that I think it really comes through is where Carl, Bill Murray's character, is talking about his, his apartment. It's like a shack that he lives in. And he's essentially asked it kind of, you know, hey, you know, what, what do you think of this place? You know, here's my, my place. What do you think? And Chevy Chase, Ty looks at it for a second. And he goes, it's terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> like he flat out just says, like, this yeah, is yeah. like a terrible place to, to live in. You know, what, why would you even ask that opinion? And I really think that that's, that's kind of what it, their relationship is. There's that sort of Chevy Chase comes from a very affluent um, background. I mean, his, he is himself probably pretty close to Ty Webb. You know, he's a guy that grew up from privilege and would look down on, on other people, you know, and it really comes through in that line, in that scene. And you can definitely tell now that said, the interplay between the two of them is super, you know, genuine. And it really comes through as I would agree, a beloved scene, a scene that pretty much everybody wanted, even if it wasn't close to written in the first draft. Yeah. It's really, really just, it's, 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 yeah. Do you want to, we'll, we'll listen, well, listen we, to it. it's a particularly long your place clip, which is a little though. bit. Yeah. What do you think? It's really, it's really awful. <laughs> but I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Uh, I'm an assistant greenskeeper. They say that doesn't mean anything, you know, until I'm the head greenskeeper. Uh, can you give me a ruling on this? Oh, sit down. Come on. No, I don't, I don't want to stick to anything in here. Uh, yeah, I don't want to stick to anything in here. Yeah. I have to say, uh, so good in it. putting the treatment of women to the side, uh, Bill Murray's little oh, like, yeah. thought blurbs that this is vomiting out of the mouth about the older women on the, it is some of my favorite dialogue but, monologues in the entire film but the that things that another... he's saying about the female golf and i yes. love that it's the older women golfers it makes yeah. no sense it's it, 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 the, it's best. Like the stuff he's saying makes no sense it's not even like it's not even like euphemisms that anyone would use, and it's just hilarious. <laughs> but you get, but the you understand the intended meaning. Yeah, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah. But I I don't know if I've ever thought about this, but could, until Tom brought it up with Chevy Chase, but they do do such a phenomenal job of introducing every character in the movie, like each one, like that's his intro, right? To Carl Spackler, you know, the Chevy intro is perfect. We played the Rodney Dangerfield intro, the the Ted Knight one of seeing the gopher and running immediately as he would <laughs> yeah. to his subservient and be like, you will be fired if this. Yeah, I think you get you removed. do. You get every character really well. Like you get who they are. Yeah. And that could be because they play on stereotypes. And so you use the stereotype <laughs> to fill in what you don't know from the film. Yeah, there, I wouldn't say it's like a stereotype. It's more like archetypes than Archetype, stereotypes. Yeah. Because well, some of them are stereotypes. Right, right. Well, but, they like, are, but, I think they, but I think they play into them so much that it's almost okay because you, you, it's like so over the you're top. Get, you you just get who right. this person's supposed to be. Which is probably why the Danny scene is in there in the beginning because it's basically like you need to see his the pressure slash normal you know 18 year old stuff he would be going through at home right which is yep. like go to college at that time or um, you're going to work at the lumber yard the lumber yard but you better pay your own way works. for college <laughs> it is funny to me that like watching this made me sort of sad for chevy chase um because he is so incredible in this and in, in like his delivery and, and how funny he is and the last thing I've seen him in is Community, which he is absolutely hilarious in that. But he's, from everything I've heard, he's like borderline not even playing a character in that show. He is like, he is that guy, which is basically like the other side of the, the coin of this movie. 
which is like the rich guy who like he he he's almost like a grown up Ty Webb in yeah. community who has millions of dollars and nothing to do so he's going to community college but he's like a racist asshole who can't see three feet in front of his face who's really good at one thing but doesn't really yeah care right, right. that he's really good at that thing yeah yeah right like what well, if chevy chase yeah. like really put all of his eggs in the like i'm just going to be a really great actor yeah. basket yeah it would be well, it's, a whole different story i think yeah. it's interesting that they crafted this for him because there was a run of movies where he was very good at exactly what tom was saying is like the line delivery of things that were weird that other people couldn't do, but he would just do it differently. Like he did it in Fletch, which was amazing as well. And then his career, I feel like he wasn't able to make some of the adjustments that Bill Murray was able to make. Like this is, you know, Bill Murray was able to take the Carl character and refine it. And Jim, you even brought up the beginning. Like by the time we get to like Ghostbusters, he looks more, like i don't even know what to say yeah, and know, then just, move into the wes anderson movies he's a totally and, yeah and he but he, and chevy chase i don't think was ever able to make that leap yeah. and they were both brilliant at what they did and i don't know if it's that what bill murray was able to do was able to transcend for longer yeah, I don't and know. that what chevy wanted to do that's just kind of moved on in terms of comedy like maybe bill murray's comedy is more timeless than what chevy chase i don't know it does is. feel like when you watch chevy chase now that there's just like a like a layer between right there's like, like a you, sadness like, there is there's just a, like yeah it just but it doesn't feel like he's i feel a, like you he watch feels him like a dinosaur like, that's he feels like i feel about martin scorsese like he is an he's a comedic version of Martin Scorsese for me, which is that's like, interesting. Yeah, I don't give a shit what you have to say anymore because you said the same thing. Like he for never he never years. adapted, so yes. he had his heyday and then he got stuck there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Tom, I need what, more what wine. And what is the thing there? What do you think it is? So let's let's consider this. Actually, it's as you guys are, are discussing this, I think that there might even be a, a kernel of truth in there. So because you know we're all sort of in agreement that Chevy Chase is not the actor that Bill Murray is. Bill Murray has a lot more range. He's shown a lot more success, you know, beyond this, you know, Carl Spackler character. Chevy Chase has been more or less one note. But if you think about it, Chevy Chase, again, what we're describing his movies in the 80s being him playing himself, you know, this smug guy who's grown out of privilege, who's sarcastic. They describe him, you know, as kind of like this, like good looking guy that people liked and thought was funny. But as time went on and, you know, comedy taste changed, he wasn't able to adapt. So what happens he becomes this sort of sad figure and he is again. So now fast forward to modern day, he is a sad figure. So yet again, he's playing himself. Yeah. He is in community playing himself. So maybe if anything, it's, he's really not a good actor. He's good at a sort of amplifying his own personality on screen. But if, if he's not being himself, he's not, he's not anything. And, yeah. and the reality is that, he lucked out. I mean, this is a you know a hypothesis, but he lucked out in that what he was happened to be wildly popular in the '80s with this irreverent, you know, what we've been discussing, offensive humor that he could deliver. Um, and had he come around a decade later, maybe he wouldn't have been as successful. Well, I think he's interesting in that when I was watching this too, I was thinking of this is a very Saturday night live-esque group, even though a lot of them were National Lampoon's people, and some of them were Saturday Night Live people. But this movie, 
I think succeeds where other quote unquote Saturday Night Live movies don't succeed, you know, mm. with the characters and things like that. Um, but I think Chevy Chase is closer to a lot of those other Saturday Night Live actors who had shorter runs um, of being really popular, like an Adam Sandler or, you know, the, in those types where their humor and their comedy was the comedy of a five year window or a six year window. And then comedy changes or rolls over. And we've talked about that before, like where it was, you know, the gross out humor. And then it went to the Judd Apatow type of humor. And then it changed again. And Chevy just wasn't able to spin it like Bill Murray was able to spin. Or, by the way, to all the credit in the world, Harold Ramis, who becomes an amazing director. You know, he takes Mm -hmm. everything he learned in this movie and goes on and does a a really diverse amount of comedy. I wonder if part of that is, you know, we talk about Bill Murray having Wes Anderson. Um, You know, I have to believe that part of that has to be Wes Anderson knowing how to direct Bill Murray. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Uh, Has Chevy Chevy Chase Chase never allowed himself to be directed? Right, he's a hard... (laughs) From from everything you hear, he's borderline impossible to work with. Right. Which which is a shame because he's br- he is brilliant and, and well maybe it'll still happen maybe maybe the director maybe it's Greta and now maybe, now it's maybe me Greta wanna, Gerwig will be it, like listen it, Chevy we're gonna have a moment it makes me want to jump back into into Community and watch it a little more mm. just but, for Donald Glover and his interactions are absolutely insanely hilarious mm. I'm taking a hot take Greta Gerwig I want you to take Chevy Chase I want you to make him the old Ken. That's been like stuck in the box for forty ah. years in the new Barbie movie. You, I something brilliant can happen. I know it can. I feel it. Um, I I will say I think I've said this on our um, Groundhog Day episode. I can't remember, but I met Bill Murray, <laughs> and it was awesome. You know, the book talks a lot about how he's a very out there type of guy. Like before coming to be on Caddyshack. He was in L.A. shooting something and told Lauren Michaels he would drive his car back across country for him and just disappeared. And then they were in like Florida waiting for him to film and nobody knew, like, is Bill going to show up? When's Bill going to show up? What what's Bill going to do? And he just shows up and he does that. But he is, you know, can be, I guess, hit or miss. Uh, But he was lovely and it was thrilling to meet him. And he was the nicest guy um, mm, I love that to spend like 10 minutes with and that always will endear me to him more but but I do love for all Chevy Chase's issues and his inability when he was in something that suited him mm. during this time period love a 1980s his, Chevy Chase his movies are yeah. hysterical sure. and, and we already hit on it earlier Ted Knight in this movie Ted yeah, Knight we is should, flawless. We have to talk is about like, Ted Knight is, is like flawless the, maybe the most I valuable player anyone to find a Ted Knight production where he is not stellar. So we talked about this um, with when we talked about Scrubs is that without the character that is sort of like the big bad that can that can play the the mean, grumpy old white guy, everything sort of falls apart because no one no one's taking the punishment right of of the jokes. And he is taking the punishment of pretty much every joke in this movie, well, like 80% of the jokes. And he plays an angry old white guy incredibly. As someone I saw, I saw on Twitter said about uh, 
Reese Witherspoon plays the shit out of a white lady. Yeah. <laughs> plays the shit out of an old white man. But I have, to, I have to say, though, that interplay between Rodney Dangerfield and Ted Knight. Yeah. You feel both sides of it because there's moments where you're like, oh, man, I wish he wasn't so stodgy and uptight. And then your moments where you're like, Rodney Dangerfield really is disrespectful. His <laughs> the, part, the part with his wife. Bring it together, man. Like, what like, are you, you doing? Like $14 the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like All throwing money at everybody he meets. But they are both so representative of personas that you would meet right. in that kind but of But he's unable to see that, like, the behavior, like, that his judgment on behavior is not like, and that's sort of what I think they're trying to get at here. It's is like, and maybe it was even like unconsciously they got there is that like Ted Knight's character is a classic, like, you know, person who can't, who thinks Rodney danger, Dangerfield's behavior is reprehensible, but then Turner turns around and makes the joke in the locker room. Right. 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 Just locker or room humor. Like, that uh, sounds really familiar. Um, yeah, or or I've uh, I've sentenced like fourteen teenagers to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it, but it was for their <laughs> yeah, yeah. Felt I owed it to them. Yeah, I felt I owed it to them. But also, I thought the speech when he's like it highlights, and we've seen this like this idea of privilege, like the almost how disconnected people are from reality. When he has that boat yeah. and he gives that speech, that poem <sighs> that he wrote. Oh my god, the poem's like, so good. Oh my god, so the good. That, that whole scene and then that his wife breaks off the what's that part of the boat called front part the, juts oh yeah, out. The little front part the, the and, front part that juts and, out and then ronnie dangerfield saying my friend wasp. my friend yeah, i love i love that whole scene um we friends we will talk about this for yeah. three hours but we gotta wrap this up all right i'm gonna play one little <laughs> clip from the boat because it does have the moment that i think me and katie laughed the hardest oh my god at. we never talked about spalding i know oh <laughs> Balding. So this is the part the that me and Katie best the most about. Unimportant character. I've got a little a little poem that I'd like to read in honor of this occasion, if I may. Spalding, get your foot off the boat. <laughs> I don't know why, but when he yells at Spalding to get his foot off the boat, Katie and I laughed so hard oh, so because. Well, he holds it together so much is, in front of other people about this representation grandson. of like. What these people, what people like Smales sort of represent and what they, what they reap because of it, which is fucking shitty, shitty children. <laughs> <laughs> and, and first of all, is Spalding his kid? No, his grandson. His grandson. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. The one thing I did notice, and I, I don't know, I just want to bring it up because I never noticed it before watching it this time. Is that Danny's parents are there for the tournament? Yes, I actually picked up something, and I I swear I've watched this. I've had to watch this movie thirty times. I picked up something for the first time. Yeah. If you go to the end, and this is like does not matter at all, but if you go to the end of the movie where they do the caddy tournament and Ty is teamed up with Chevy because Rodney Dangerfield pretends he gets hurt, and so Danny's putting right, and they're like, Danny, if you miss this putt, we lose. Right. That's not true. But but that can't be true. They should have had the hole and gone the extra holes, but he hits it and then they win. I brought the up the same thing because I forgot that the Rod same wavelength. I forgot that Rodney yells out, you know, I hundred hundred yeah. granny makes it. Yeah. Which changes the whole bet, right? Right. But if he misses that putt, he's still gotta tap in for, for, for push, right? Like to yeah. push to the next hole. 
which I, I'm like, wait a second, this is all messed up. Like I know until he yelled it. And then once he yelled it, I go, Oh, that's how they get out of that. (laughs) But that's a credit to the whole movie that like, 30 some odd viewings and it was just obscure. I picked it Best up. And I part of the tournament at the up. end is the caddies betting on whether Spalding picks his nose and eats it. Oh yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Double or nothing. If he eats it. <laughs> yeah. Love but it. there's so many little moments like the Haversham's oh, yeah. thing. Like there's just, yeah, it's just great. Yeah. It's great. And, and they do a really good job of showing like all the little pains that a caddy goes through, you know, catting for a couple that can not even see. It's just like, <laughs> like the little, and and then like the um the female caddy. You don't know she's a female at the time, you know she's clearly smaller than Denunzio, and she's got Al's bag, and it's like it, it looks, has a it has a keg inside in it. of it. Oh, it has yeah, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's gigantic. No, it's literally a keg. Remember, he pulls the, the yeah, towel yeah, comes yeah. out. Well, so he like, has a beer. Yeah, and he's, yeah, but then um, the, the clubs shoot out. Um, sorry, Spalding is the nephew. The nephew. And is so yeah. then is the is the girl Lacey, niece? Is she a niece or granddaughter? Uh, to a, I think a she's a niece. She's a niece. She's a niece. niece and nephew. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's very it's all over. Yeah, it's yeah. very yeah. tenuous. Yeah, bloodline doesn't, doesn't matter in the least. <laughs> all right. Um, I feel like we did this movie justice. Yeah. Well, you did. I mean, there's just so many parts you could. This is why forty it's years it's later, ninety people, different stories. Yeah, forty years later, I will say this to this film's credit there wasn't one character that i felt got you know of the key characters every character of importance i felt was up there just long enough like you got i felt like if and they knew where to cut it like if we had a little bit more bill murray i think it might have gotten old there was just enough of that like Mm -hmm. you got just that's where harold ramus i think and those guys deserve enough credit they knew just how much to give us where it was like, I felt satisfied with all of those key comedic characters. Yeah. Which is awesome. Great. And it, most people have seen it. If you haven't, watch it. I can't imagine anybody hasn't seen it. All right. It's time for five questions. Oh, we're skipping game yeah, of the week. We yeah, we skipping the game of the week. All right. All right. Now, let, now you got me all confused. Oh, now here. he's not going to get the right you sound. Want <laughs> you want well, answers? Fun. I want the truth. What makes a man? Mr. Lebowski. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Tom, I'm on a mission to get less F words in the podcast. We're never taking. <laughs> Wait, I, I hold on for one second here. The only person, only person, and you can go back and listen to this, who was cursed in tonight's episode was you. I said asshole. And I just said it twice. It, it, yeah. You were talking about less cursing on the podcast. No, you're right. The only but that feels lesser. I feel like that's like a PG 13 rating where like the F word still goes a little bit higher. No. Mm-hmm. And we're never so, going to beep out Jay saying, what the fuck is the internet? Oh, God yes. Uh, well, believe it or not, I had a podcast I used to do with, uh, with a couple of buddies of mine. We made it to 50 episodes. It was a fantasy football podcast. And the amount of cursing that my, I was very good, but I will say that my other hosts, specifically one of them was responsible for was, it was, it was rough. There was a lot of times where I, I said, please edit my last name out of all of these. Yes. Well, th- I have to be honest. This is why I stopped using my name. Yeah. Tom. That's what I would worry about with this podcast is the, uh, is the cursing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, Tom is answering five questions tonight. All right. First question, thumbs up or thumbs down, Saturday Night Live. 
Oh, uh, big thumbs up. Uh, you know, there's obviously it's a cultural force that has had, you know, any number of documentaries. It's super fascinating. All these characters, all these people that went in many different directions and, and impacted you know, movies, et cetera. Um, I'll, I'll give my super quick explanation of why I love it. So I picture when I think of Saturday Night Live, I picture being in high school and, you know, we had the 11 p.m. curfew. So I had to be home by 11, you know, uh, before my junior license would, uh, or because I had the junior <laughs> license. That's right. So sure enough, I get home and me and, and everybody in my whole high school group, we'd put on Saturday Night Live, it'd be 1130 and we'd get on instant messenger, yes. messenger. Ooh, and we would have these, these long conversations all the way to one in the morning just like loving on these skits so for me it was sort of a fond memory of of my high school years yeah who was that cast who would the cast have been then so that was that was will farrell when he was he was basically the star at that point um we're talking about 1999 rachel bush and that that daryl hammond like and 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 the uh celebrity jeopardy you know where he was alex trebek yeah daryl hammond was 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 on sean connery yeah, that was a great that time period. Keenan had already yeah. been there for 20 mm-hmm. years. Yep. <laughs> Tina Fey. Jim, Jimmy yeah. Fallon. At that point, Jimmy Fallon was yep. still the young guy that messed up skits. That was that was <laughs> Could never hold it together with about. Debbie Downer. No, never. No. <laughs> all, right, all right. Here we go. Question two. Uh, Tom, would you rather watch Ghostbusters or Groundhog Day? So I'll I'll give my explanation for this. So I'm a huge Rocky fan, and people often say, "What's your favorite Rocky you would watch?" If it was on TV, and they were all at the same time. And my answer is always Rocky Four because it's kind of silly, it's goofy. I can kind of turn my brain off and just kind of like enjoy it for what it is. It's not you know it's not heavy. Um, the same thing kind of goes for this choice. I would pick Ghostbusters because as I'm as good of a movie as I think Groundhog Day is, and I do enjoy it. I don't think I could deal with the existential crisis and the sort of philosophy behind it and the sort of heaviness that the movie has, um, you know, more routinely. So if I'm given, say, both of those movies 100 days in a row, I'd pick Ghostbusters most of those days for sure. I just have to say, would you rather have... See, for me, it's just easy because it's like, Sigourney Weaver or Andy McDowell. Well, I was going to say, I was waiting for the end. Everyone who knows this podcast knows that I fucking hate Andy McDowell. She ruins everything. I'm very excited about the the Ghostbusters movie that's happening. I'm kind of excited about that, too. The trailer. We were like a month away if this hadn't happened. I know. It's going to happen. It's fine. It's fine. Something to look forward to. Getting you're getting me angry, Katie. No, no, no! Don't get angry. It's it's still gonna come. It's still it's still it's everything's just on pause, Brian. Okay. All right. Here we go. Fill in the blank question, Uh, Tom. If you were to start a country club. You would name it. <laughs> so I, I'll, you should know that I probably thought about this for about six hours today. So <laughs> I, can, I have multiple drafts, just crumpled up paper. Like, no, that's no good. That name don't work. So for those of you that, that have ever seen me golf, I am, I love to golf. I am, I am the worst golfer in this podcast. I know some of you will say, Oh no, no, no. no, no. Golf is a self deprecate. Yes. You're saying it. I am. I'm terrible. I'm the worst golfer. You know, whether you know it or not, I am. So here's the thing, as much as I love it, um, you know, I'm not good. So I was kind of thinking, so, you know, dodgeball, you know, the gym, the premise yes. of the gym at the end is average Joe's like, you don't have to be a good, like, you don't have to be strong. Just come in work out. It's no big deal. So that would be, that's sort of the impetus behind my country club is you don't have to be a good golfer. Come to my country club. So it's called Puttsville, yes. but it's like P- P- P-U-T-Z. So it also kind of has that like Bushwood sort of inappropriate. I, just, I feel like that exists somewhere. You know what? I was like today years old when I realized that Bushwood Country Club is actually a joke. 
<laughs> like like they're trying to make a joke with like bush and wood, and wood. <laughs> in what way give me more like uh, what you need to explain what oh, the bush oh, and oh, what like the wood is woman, female the, female like, male female male yeah, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I well bush has a lot of different plays so yeah. okay i got oh, you that's true okay. katie used to hang out in the bush yeah no <laughs> like, that's... i went to the bush in the woods i God like damn I was... <laughs> it brian <laughs> got it sorry I didn't... <laughs> okay uh okay here we go uh tom what's your favorite chevy chase movie uh, so, so truthfully, I think that, I think the movie that I enjoy him the most in is probably Caddyshack. Um, but I will say that's not really a Chevy Chase movie. That's an ensemble movie. I think that for me, it's National Lampoon's Vacation. Um, for, for a lot of the same reasons I do like Caddyshack, there's like the nostalgia of it. I think I picture watching it, you know, my, my dad and I watch it there. Uh, I, hey, look, I, I will say Fletch, Fletch is a close second as well, too. And other than those two, I actually can't say I love a lot of his, his movies, but the thing that I, I just like love about it is again, the same sort of like delivery that he has and the sort of role that he has. Now, the other thing is a lot of people see their father in Clark Griswold. I mean, Clark Griswold has almost become the sort of cliche for the dad that wants to be the super dad, right? And, you know, try, tries his best to do what he can to show his family how great he is and kind of comes up short. Um, I will give a, a quick uh, other one. So I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie or have any of you seen Dirty Work, the uh, the movie with oh, Norm yes. Macdonald. Oh, yeah, yeah. So as the doctor. So, <laughs> yes, he is unbelievably good as the doctor with a gambling yes. problem specifically. So and when they they list he, they list the things that he lost money on, one of the things he the, he lists betting on was Mr. <laughs> T. And Norm Macdonald clarifies, said, wait, did you bet against Rocky and Rocky three? He says hindsight is 2020 and just like and they just move on from there. <laughs> Oh, he is so I, that movie. He's so good in that. Very underrated. But yeah, I loved him in that as well. All right. And finally, deep thoughts question. If you could play mm -hmm. a round of golf with any actor or actress in history, who would it be? All right. So I'm actually pretty, pretty excited about this answer. So I actually referred to Rocky earlier, and I think it's appropriate that I'm talking about Carl Weathers. So Carl Weathers Jesus has a Christ. lot. <laughs> Has a, a lot to bring. Hear me out. There's so many layers. Look, to this I, I, I'm going right to Predator. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. So think about it. As I'm, as we're we're going around in the golf cart, I could talk to him about Rocky. I could talk to him about Predator. I could talk to him about Arrested Development. There's so many things that he was in that I love. Now here's the the other thing too. There's the connection of who he was in Arrested Development. He plays himself. But he's a he is an acting coach for a terrible actor in David Cross's <laughs> yes. character. He's just an absolutely terrible actor. So that's like for me, who is a complete head case when I golf, I feel like he could talk, he could be that same guy. He's like, I'm going to be the golf coach, even if he just takes my money like he did that character in the show. Oh my god. It's fine. He he could kind of just like talk me off the golfing ledge in his sort of he's calm way. Also in a golf movie. Tom, we're gonna Which have to the, have you, you back to talk about layer. arrested development. Right? Happy Gilmore. He is uh He's Chubbs Peterson. He gets his arm and beaten by the. I love it. Tie in because oh, that damn alligator. Yeah. Jim is a never nude like uh, Tobias. He Tobias. Is. There are dozens of us. And Zach Braff. Yeah. And Zach Braff. And that's it. And when I go go up on the green to take a putt, I would just turn around and point, and he would say, "It's all in the hips." As I go for that putt. I love it. Do anybody else? Uh, who would you golf with, Jim? Do you know? Katie, oh, who would you? Like I didn't think with? about this at all. I don't know. It's on the spot. We don't do on the spot things. I don't know. I mean, we don't do on the spot things. No, I'm horrible at on the spot. I'll dr I'll drive the golf cart. You guys bring your Which friends. Which is why you got that tech six hours today, Tom. I 
prepare stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's funny. Like I don't, I don't impressive. have like actor and actress idols in the way that like I would musicians. Well, who would I golf with? You would golf with Bill Murray, or Tom Cruise, which Tom is Cruise. fucking so sad. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> You would have to, you would you would have to go putt putt because can he lift a club? Is his little arms? Oh. His arms are not little. Jim, we've talked about antagonizing the Church of Scientology. You know on this show that before. he has had all of his clubs manufactured yeah. to make him look would... taller and stronger. Yeah, so right. Don't exactly. worry about it. Come on, Jim. He's six <laughs> two with clubs. Yeah. He has the lifts in his in shoes. Space. You don't have to You're worry. He is fine being emasculated by go. a woman on screen. It's not a My big deal. My drive is going to go. A galaxy. I'm I'm gonna golf. Space. I am gonna golf with Tina Fey, and we Ooh, are going to choice. we are gonna race golf carts yes. and drink out of uh, full bottles of wine while the, oh, while you all golf. That sounds good. That sounds like a good one. Um, all right. Well, that is Caddyshack. Tom, thank you so much for yeah, joining Tom, us. Thanks we so much. Absolutely loved having you. Caddyshack enthusiast. Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, well done. We are gonna be I might be a correspondent now. Oh, yeah, yay! you could. <laughs> you have to pick something. Uh as long well, actually, there's no way you could pick the worst movie we've ever done. Nobody will ever be able to do uh, that again. That's true. Yeah, Please, we're can, not even gonna ask the bars anyone. are low. Please don't but, even mention yeah, those words. You, again. you came in, you came and offered us your knowledge of Caddyshack. Now you pick a movie and we'll yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do watch that. it. Uh, Love to like do it. We're doing a movie with uh, Jimmy Costanzo, who told us about his undying love for a film called L.A. Confidential. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're fulfilling a dream for him. I have to be on honest. Thursday when he we literally actually said that, first of all. It's a dream um, come true. It's, it's, it's a dream talk come about true. This movie. But also thing number two. For, I know for me, like my favorite movie changes over time. You know, I do a lot better with like maybe give me a top five or top 10. But like yeah. picking a favorite is always hard for me in anything. Jimmy Costanzo has had an undying love for L.A. Confidential for as long as I've known him, which is a really long time. Yeah. Like, yeah. so I'm I do feel like this is a culminating experience. On we Thursday. are making mm -hmm. dreams, making come dreams come true, come true. making dreams come true. Uh, um, all right, I'm gonna go listen to some Kenny Loggins music yes. while I go to sleep. Just uh, we just, should play out with that. Do we have no, it? No, we don't have it. And no, we, we don't, we don't want to get it. We've been getting, we've been getting blocked. We've been getting blocked. Right. They're music. watching, they're watching. The problem for is, us. we have so many viewers globally, yeah. that Facebook is targeting us now. That's yeah. true for yeah. copyright violations. This is what happens? Too many yeah. people listening. This is uh, what happens. Tom, thanks so much. Uh, we will see you again soon, hopefully. Uh, mm -hmm. And we will be back talking LA Confidential next time. All Goodbye, right. everybody. See you Bye, everyone. on Thursday. Bye. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it.